actualize that, which is really the frontier of science or frontier of psychology. And some of that might still be useful. We don't know what, because not enough scholars have done that. And then the other problem is that a lot of scholars who even do this kind of stuff, they're often not either properly equipped, or their motivation is more to look at the sociological parts of evolution of that thought. For example, one of the well-respected scholars in the field of Christian Shaivism, Mark Vitskovsky, does good stuff. He lives in Varanasi now. His, most of his recent stuff is to find out, did this community also learn it? Did they also have access to it? These are questions to which you can give any number of answers without any conclusive thing. So I personally think that, that a waste. Rather than come to the real question, which is, how can you relate to relate it to the deepest insights of modern science? Because we must. You know, Hinduism or Sanatana Dharma rejects no science. Sanatana Dharma is totally consistent with all science. In fact, uh, there is this famous dialogue between Narad and Yudhishthir in the Bhagavad Gita, in which uh, Yudhishthir comes to Narad and says, how am I to find myself, find knowledge? What's the purpose of my life? He says, this is what you do. You study as hard as you can. Whatever, you know, you did the Vedas, the Upavedas, the Vedangas, the Japas, and this and that. Until you reach a point of contradiction, which is below the Havas, which is paradox. And when you really feel it in your bones, that's when you'll get a deeper understanding. So life or knowledge is all a whole sequence of layered, deeper understandings. And so you do have to do all. So we're not saying, don't do evolution, don't do this, don't do that. Every subject has its limited utility. And we, we are finding that in all disciplines. Those of us who do history of science or who follow popular stories, we know that, for example, you know, uh, Lancet had a story a couple of years ago that 90% of research papers in biomedical sciences are not reproducible, right? This was a big meta-study. A lot of the study in psychology, 90% cannot be reproduced. Now those authors did it to the best of their ability. Maybe their experiments were not properly designed. And you are making many other assumptions, some of which may not be valid. So, but still, each of that also provides some illumination. And, and because the ultimate mystery is consciousness. And that is what the Veda is all about, Atma Vidya. Veda is Atma Vidya. It is the science of consciousness. And science of consciousness, it's only now that humanity, that mankind, or humankind, because it's not proper to say mankind anymore in the university, although it, this is not a, this is also a university, right? In a certain sense. So humankind has arrived at the doorstep of this big problem. In fact, one of the finest Western scholars named Heinrich Zimmer, who died young, sadly. He was, a, he was a German who came to Columbia and then he died very young. He writes at one place in his famous book on Indian art. He says, India attracts us and also scares us. It attracts us because Indian sages, several centuries before Christ. Now, paraphrasing, I don't, I, I, remember, I don't remember the exact words. 
arrive at questions which now humanity is confronting. And why does it scare us? Because we can't understand why is all this extraordinary wisdom Indian society stumbled. Because we did. And what happened was, instead of sattva, even those who were into wisdom and self-perfection got into tamasic ways, into repetition. Although that has made our tradition remain alive. Yeah, a lot of people were doing it generation after generation, not knowing why they were doing it. And maybe that's a lot of that's going on. If, I can tell you, if only 1,000 Indians became truly aware of all of this, the whole world would change. Because there is nothing in the world like it. Nothing in the world. And for those who are interested in novels, in my view, the greatest novel there is, is Yoga Vasishta. Most, most amazing book of great imagination. There's no other book which is, and you can read it in English version, State University of New York Press. Just to get started, you don't have to read abstract, you know, technical philosophy. Because ultimately, I, I learned it many years ago. I was a young guy. I finished my PhD. Um, I was 23. I went for summer to Kashmir. So, hey, I know so much. So my cousins, they, they would take me to their friends, where they were grandmothers and mothers, you know, who were not even, some of them had not even gone to school. And I talked to them, and I realized that they knew so much. Their understanding was so deep. You know, it's not bookish knowledge which gets you deep understanding. People in villages in India have such deep understanding, such incredible understanding that is totally mind boggling In fact, Praveen was telling me the story of these young people who have come to Pune, who's not properly schooled, and they have such brilliance, right? Uh, who work for their brother, who's a doctor. So this amazing wisdom, because it's really in our tradition in multiple ways. Uh, and, and so it's up to us to be able to communicate it to people, because we're all brothers and sisters, all of humanity, right? Somebody from the outside, uh, Asmar, yeah, because these words are in, in certain sense, of course. Consciousness, Chaitanyam Atma. The first, the very first Shiva Sutra is Chaitanyam Atma. Chaitanya means chit. Chit is consciousness. You can also say it's your memory bank, but really, memory bank which is illuminated. You have the Chidakash, the sky of your memory. Yeah, they are the same. So you could very well say that. And sir, most important, see, for yes. a life to exist in addition to consciousness, it needs the energy. A life is an energy-driven process. So what finds the energy? Oh, these are, okay, good, good, good question. Very good question. Consciousness and the body. You know, we are conscious, we are also the body. They are like two sides of the coin. They are both complementary. They are both complementary. Consciousness is, pervades us but also transcends us. Because we are ourselves transcendent. Our true nature is transcendent. But we don't know it. We don't know how to fly. 
just like Hanuman had to be told that he could fly before he could fly and bring Sanjeevani, right? That is really, all these are deep stories for all of us. Ramayana is all about us. Hanuman is our own mind, right? So once you are in touch with your consciousness, then you'll be able to fly and get various things, whatever you might want to. Just me, all of you have to be teachers. <laughs> Everyone. And then also, I want to just mention the very first point you made about Kanada. You know, these are all stories to charm. It doesn't mean that the story is literally true. It's like Shesh Naga, right? Naga both means a snake, it also means a rock. Okay, the whole world has been dissolved. So, where is Vishnu? So, the poet said he's on a rock. But then that's sort of boring image. So it's not a rock, it's a snake. There are these 1,008 kalpas, or Mahayugas. So there are, there are stories within stories. And part of the beauty of it is to decode that. And um, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I must say this. When this battle between Indrajit and Lakshman is going on. One of the weapons that is used is Nagabash. Right? And what is it shown as in those comic books? As snakes uh, binding you up, right? And then you are immobilized. But really, you know, another meaning of Nagabash is Nag is where you are immobilized, like a rock. And what the British did to India is totally immobilize all the intelligentsia by the power of their thoughts. You see that? Um, so, I mean, you can, I'm not, I don't blame the British, but that's what they, that's part of the empire. Or that's the, that was through their understanding uh, that they thought, because they didn't understand it, because there is this subtle aspect to Vedic thought, which is getting illuminated only now after. <coughs> Neuro and physical sciences have reached a certain point, which people didn't understand at that point. In fact, if you read W.D. Whitney's grammar on Sanskrit, he even dismissed Panani because at that time, 
this idea of algorithmic structures was unknown. So he says, what's this nonsense? This is too much of Panditian, right? So I'm going to approach Sanskrit grammar in a more behavioral sense. So he's sick, he has eaten some bad food the previous night. And he's, pork. 
Yeah, so he's sort of dying, and then all his disciples come streaming in. They're crying, and they say, what am I, what are we to do? Because you have told us there's nothing, there's shunyata, there's no atma, anatta, the, the anatma doctrine. So he listens to them, and then finally he says, okay, I'm going to tell you the truth. So he says, I didn't answer what the question, what atma was, because you were too attached to various rites without knowing what the deeper meaning of it was. Something like what's happening now. So he, then he gives an example. This is from, and I'm paraphrasing it, this is from Mahabharata Nirvan Sutra. He says, look at a child. The child is very young, let's say infant, five, six months old, and the child falls sick. So the mother, the child is still nursing from the mother, mother's breast. So the mother takes the child, this is from Buddha, to the doctor. The doctor says, the pure milk is not good for the baby. Now, give medicine for the next week, and if the baby is right uh, at the end of the week, then you can feed from your breast again. So, so she comes back home, and so the baby wants, the baby's hungry, the baby wants uh, the breast. So what she does is she puts some chilies on her breast, and then the baby cries, and then she says, look, you can't, and then the baby cries and cries, and after some time, she knows, the baby knows that she, he or she shouldn't come to the breast. Then the baby takes medication for a week, and then the baby is fine, and then she washes off her breast, and then, then the baby, then he, then she puts the baby back, and everything's fine. She's, so the Buddha says, look, you were like that baby. You were too attached to things without knowing the meaning. Now that your Gone, you can believe indeed there is something which is Shashwat, which is eternal, and that is Atma. In fact, I wrote a column on this with all the references. It's called the Buddha and the Vedas. So, uh, so what the scholars did, and the, the Chinese believe in it, the, the Koreans believe in it, you know, Dhyana became Chana, became Zen. Uh, the Japanese believe in it. We, for whatever reason, the Indians, because of our very fraught history, complicated history in the past several centuries, and also certain elements in our society, let's not forget that, we have forgotten. But now that we've been reawakened, now that we've been told, like Hanuman, when he was told that he could fly, that we should indeed fly, this is the time, and this is the time because the world is ready. You know, you go to Russia, you go to Czechoslovakia, you go to all these countries, and I travel quite a bit. You find such deep thirst. Deep thirst, not because it's Indian knowledge, because this is knowledge of the Atma. This is the deepest thing about our life. Right? We are not just machines. We are not just any other animal. We are an animal who has access to infinite insights. And if that is what our purpose is, you know, just as imagine you had a bird and you caged it in a cage, small cage all its life. Just imagine how, what kind of suffering that would be. Our true destiny is to be free. And you can be free only if you know what this Atma Vidya is. And that's what we should be.
Sylvester Hanuman uh, reminds me. Uh, I learned a lot from Professor Kapil Kapoor in Germany. And he used to say that the Indian intellectuals, or you know, in general, they are suffering from Hanuman syndrome because they have forgotten, like Hanuman did, that he could fly and you know, go all the way from India to Lanka. So we have to remember. But only, anyway, I'll take one last question here. One from a lady. We have, not, we have not a question from a lady. Yeah. My name is Sarna Tiwari, and I have a stupid question. You were trying to relate between uh, 108 uh, Mankar and Mala, and you related it to uh, the ratio of the diameter of sun to the diameter of earth. How do they two relate? Oh, they said, okay, now the whole question is what is Vedic wisdom all about? How do you find knowledge, right? The idea is uh, in the statement, yat prinde tad brahmanyam, yat brahmani tad prinde. As the cosmos, so in the inner self. You know, the outer, how do we know? The answer that the Veda provides is because the capability or capacity to know that is inherent in our very being. In some sense, this whole outer, uh, the whole uh, Brahman, right, Brahman, is mirrored within us, within our inner sky. You have the outer Akash, Akash, we have the inner Akash. So it's a symbolic relationship that you are, by mentioning this, you are, and of course, you could also look at it from other perspectives. You could say that by chanting the name 108 times, you're setting some vibration in your mind because this spanda, you know, the whole idea of spanda, the whole cyclic movement of time, you're creating movement or vibration in your mind, which makes it easier for you to access all that capacity that you need. But I don't want to get into that because that gets into too many technical issues. But certainly in the larger sense, you're making a symbolic journey. You're making a symbolic journey, not to the outer sky, like that uh, Greek guy who tries to fly, the hero, and gets burnt, right? Get his name. Icarus. Yeah, Icarus. So like that, we all can fly because that sky is within us. That sun is within us. So how do we reach that inner sun? Because the moment you reach that inner sun, you have access to all this astonishing insight, not just about yourself, because you have uncovered your inner self, but also about the outer self, because the inner and the outer are connected. Okay, so we come to the point where we have to say, typically, you know, like that uh, we are coming to an end, but I would like to say that since Dr. Kark has kind of inspired us and uh, given us the Hanuman in all of us. And, you know, so let there be a beginning now. Start, let there, let there be a questioning now. So all of us, we have questions. Please keep it to yourself for two seconds. Uh, we have to bring it to uh, a close here. Uh, and we will continue with talks after that. 
So at this time, I would like to invite Sudha ji to give a word of thanks.